0: Well, hey everybody! Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me back. Especially last time, there was a blunder that happened while I was preaching. If you don't remember, great. Uh, if you do remember, don't. <laughs> you remember? <laughs> if you do remember, don't lean over to your friend and explain it to them. Okay, great. Uh, my name is Jamin. I'm a pastor in our conference here in the Southern Michigan Conference of the Free Methodist Church, and. Uh, I pastor a church called 1208 Greenwood out in Jackson. It's a little urban church. And uh, I'm here today because we have church at night, at least for about a month before we make some changes. So uh, I'm the easy change guy. If you're like, I don't have a pastor, who's that guy who doesn't do morning so we can steal him? Okay, all right. Well, here I am. And I had a message all ready to go for you, and then I had a dream this morning that made me think I was supposed to preach a different direction. I'll get into that dream in a little bit here, but uh, give me a little bit of grace if I sound a little scatterbrained as I try to piece together some things on the fly. I felt like maybe I could still, that God still wanted me to use some components from the original thing, but then mostly focus on something else. So. At the beginning of the Bible, God creates everything, and a lot of times what we miss is that this ancient Near Eastern creation story has a lot of elements that it's trying to infuse into our understanding of who God is, because our, our, our religion, our scriptures are not the only creation story in existence. All religions have some kind of creation story. And in the ancient world, there were lots of them. So what's important in our creation story is as it's talking about who God is and how he created the world, it's important to recognize that there are some differences in our story versus other people's story and that there are some similarities. And those differences speak volumes because we begin to realize, oh, this is who our God is, like in other religions God's had to duke it out, and as they beat each other up, they then created the world in some way. Not our God. He just speaks, and it happens. In other religions, only some people are made in the image of God, the rich and the royalty and the kings, but not in ours. Every human being is made in the image of God. And that's where we're going to start right there, honing in on the image of God, because that word there in the Bible is Salem. Salem. And that word gets translated a lot of different ways throughout the Bible. Uh, But the most common one that you're going to find is image. Or if it's a bad image, it would be... Anybody want to take a stab? An idol. Now... In people's ancient creation stories, the God always rested in his place, his temple where he lived. And what do we see God do in our ancient story? He rests in Eden. This is his temple. This is his holy presence. And we see that because he's walking in the cool of the day around his holy space. We see that because Adam and Eve, after they've sinned, they're kind of kicked out of this sacred holy place. But temples didn't always just have, like, God's presence there. They also had Salem's images, or if it's negative, idols. It's the same word. And the idols in temples throughout the ancient world were supposed to be representative of what the God looked like. So it's interesting to note that when God creates humanity, he puts on it a special kind of of identity. He puts on it the image of God. In other words, when you look at a raccoon or a squirrel or a fish or a bird, you aren't looking at the image of God. But when you look at another human being, you are supposed to be looking at a representation of who God is. Now, when you look in their eyes, you should be seeing this is the, the way that God should treat the world. This is the way that God should love. And sometimes we catch those glimpses. We see it naturally in a lot of people. Like there are plenty of people who aren't Christians but are great parents. And when you see the way in which they treat their kids, you're like, that right there, that's, that's the representation of God. That's the image of God. I see it in this person because every person is made in the image of God, not just the rich, not just the lovely, not just royalty, but every single person. You might come across somebody who is all the way at the bottom of the ladder, yet the things that they do to take care of the people around them, you see that and you're like, that right there, that's the image of God. Now naturally, we would have just kind of lived out in God's presence and kept creating more images of God, more children who created children who created children, be fruitful, multiply, fill the whole earth, until this whole planet is filled with the image of God taking care of creation in the way that God would take care of creation. Right? We would have been the real representation throughout the entire planet until the whole thing is cultivated to look as though it's all Eden. That's, that's the long game. That's the goal. But we took the power, the authority, and the dominion that God gave us as human beings, as images of God, as Salem's of God, and we instead took that power and authority and flipped everything upside down. We perverted it, and we changed the hierarchy of the world. I mean, humans are supposed to be at top, but what's interesting, Paul points out, is even though we're like the real image of who God is, we crafted new images that look like dragons and snakes and lions, and then we worshiped those. We didn't even make images that look like humans. We made images of things lesser than humans and worshiped that. And on top of that, we took the power and authority and dominion that we've been given as humans, and we've used it to afflict other people with the same kind of power and authority. I mean, is that not the case of anyone who's ever dealt with trauma? The theological story that's going on with someone who's dealing with trauma is somebody else who made in the image of God, who has power and authority, they took all that and they pushed it against me. They forgot that I, too, am in the image of God, and I have power and authority. And this other human, this other image, taught me to think lesser of myself, tried to break me down, and now I don't know who I am in my trauma. Am I what they said I am, or am I what God said I am? I I don't know anymore. If you are a human being, you naturally are made in God's image. If you are a human being, you naturally carry power and authority. The only human being that does not have power and authority is a dead one. Because if you are alive, you are carrying what God has naturally infused in you as a human being. And God doesn't just take power and authority away when things go bad. There are times where he makes ultimatum judgments, but for the most part... We're all going about this life trying to use our power and authority in different ways. And so often sin corrupts us and we use it in an evil way. Now God has seen this over and over and over again. And we can see it through the voice of his prophets. Because at one point he, he raised up this whole group of people. And their job was to listen to the Holy Spirit speak, listen to God's Spirit speak, and then go out to the kings of the land and go out to their countries and go out even to other people's countries sometimes and say, God has spoken. Here's what he said. Will you listen? And it's interesting. Half the things that the prophets seem to say all the time is, Take care of the poor, the widows, the orphans. Take care of those who are oppressed among you. Do justice. Act righteously. Be the image of God. Treat other people as though they're the image of God. Work together as the image of God to create a society, a utopia, in which everybody is seen in the light of the representation of who God is and love them rightly. I think of, uh, remember that movie Bruce Almighty? You know, where he's got all the email coming in is now he's got to take care of God's email and he's got all these and he's answering them. I think this is why you hear the prophets constantly saying, take care of the poor. It's because as God has all his emails coming in or the prayer requests coming in, guess what they are all, like, a huge portion of them are? They're the poor. God, I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet. God, I don't know how I'm going to survive. God, I can't seem to get ahead no matter what I do. God, would you come and help me? Would you come and help me? And God hears those prayer requests, and so he speaks it out through the prophets. Tell the people. Tell them. Tell them to do justice. They're not treating people rightly. Love them, love them, love them, love them. And do we listen? I think 2,000-plus years later, we see that we're still in the same enigma where things don't get easy for people Who are dealing with difficulty, people that we have treated less than the image of God. Uh, For example, I I work with a lot of homeless and impoverished people. That's what our church model has really kind of worked to try to do. And I have people come up to me all the time where like, it's not as simple as just get a job. Because for them, it's like, if I get a job, the government stops giving me these paychecks that have sustained me and then when I get the job, I actually make less than what the government will give me because they say, oh, you're working enough hours. We're just going to take our paychecks away now. And now they make less. Now they're suffering. And now they also have to pay childcare with the money that they're making. <laughs> and it's like this whole, like, there's no way out. The amount of times that I get calls from one particular person that I know who's trying to take care of three kids and try to get by and, and just constantly hits roadblock after roadblock, no matter what they do to try to get forward. I I mean, there's there's just, they explain their situation, and I recognize there's no way out. And in those times, I always hear Jesus warm in my heart. (laughs) Because it can be easy to become cold when you have a lot of requests like that. But Jesus constantly saying, do not refuse the one who begs. They are in the image of God, too. Love them, love them, love them. And no matter what we say or scream or try to do, a lot of times there's just this huge disconnect between the top and the bottom, right? I mean, you remember the stimulus checks, right? Yeah, good times, yeah. I remember when I got all of this money (laughs) and the way it looked from the government's perspective was, oh, we really hope you're okay. Here's a bunch of money. I hope this really helps. Maybe you can get by for a week. And I'm thinking you just paid me for the year. (laughs) You know, like, are you that out of sync that you think this might help me get by? Like, there's just disconnect. That, yeah, we want to maybe take care of the image, but we don't even understand how the image of God works on different levels. We're that out of sync sometimes. And the dream that I had uh, this morning, Steve... Uh, I woke up at 7 and I had a text from Steve that was like, uh, uh, praying for you today, Pastor Steve, praying for you and for whatever message God has put in your heart. And I thought to myself, well, I mean, I don't know if God has put this on my heart or not, but I'll just preach it anyways. And then I went to bed and had this dream. And there was this uh, singer on stage that had a blanket covering the top part of them. And they were singing revelation song. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. You know the song, right? If not, you've been hiding under a rock for a while. Um, They're singing that song, and I'm just staring at the stage, like, what's under the blanket? (laughs) You know? Because there's two legs coming out from the blanket, and I know it's not the singer's legs. I'm like, who's underneath there? (laughs) And they keep singing, and they keep singing, and then they get to the chorus Holy, 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 it's the Lord God Almighty. I'm waiting for the big reveal and in that moment they take off the blanket and behold there's a homeless man sitting on a park bench and the place roars yeah Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come thrown of Jesus a park bench Jesus himself a homeless man You treat the homeless like that? It's Jesus said that's how it works. Interesting. When we get to Judgment Day, Jesus actually doesn't have us come up and be like, "All oh, right, did you believe I was a real person? Oh, yeah. Cool, you're in. It's actually, uh, okay, did you take care of me when you saw me? Uh, you've been resurrected for a few thousand years, man. I haven't seen you anywhere. No, you've seen me. Have you seen me? Where, where did I see you? Well, if you saw someone who was hungry or thirsty or naked or in prison or a stranger, did you welcome them? Did you visit them? Did you visit the sick? Did you feed them? Did you give them water? Well, yeah, I did those things. Ah, yeah, here's your name. All right, you're in. What about you? Did you do know those things? Uh, no. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I actually don't know who you are. Who are you? That's intense. That on the day of judgment, Jesus has a question. Did you take care of the poor? Did you treat everybody as the image of God? Did you love those around you who are suffering? He said it loudly through the prophets and we didn't listen. So God went even louder. He put on skin. He put on lowly human skin and came down to earth was born. It's like, here I am. And guess what happens? One of the first things that happens is he uh, nearly gets aborted, born right out of the womb. And now someone's coming to kill him. The next thing that happens is he becomes a refugee. Well, we can't live here. We're going to have to go to some other land somewhere. And then he starts doing ministry and he preaches that, you know, people got places to stay, but I got nowhere to lay my head. So he's homeless too. He also doesn't seem to have a lot of money because he's always preaching against it. The money that he does have mostly comes from some wealthy women who are supporting his ministry. And Jesus never seems to have money when people need it. Hey, you want to pay your taxes? I don't have any. Peter, go get that fish. There's a coin in it. (laughs) What? (laughs) Just give him the money, Peter. (laughs) Give him the fish. He seems to be living a life fairly of poverty. And the disciples don't even seem to get that very well. Right, Jesus, nobody will let us stay in this town. Do you want us to call down fire from heaven and burn it up? No, let's just go to the next place. Are you sure? (laughs) Yes. Have you guys learned nothing while you've been with me? And then Jesus spends all of his time ministering to the people at the bottom. He's always getting in trouble with it. The people that he's spending time with, the Pharisees assume like, oh, he must be a drunkard and a glutton if those are the kind of people he's spending time with. The people that he's spending time with are people that are ostracized. They're on the outside. You're not supposed to go near them. The lepers. Leprosy in the Bible could be any kind of skin condition. Today, we think of it as like only one, Hansen's disease. But in that time, it could be anything. Anything. So somebody who had like a non-contagious skin condition might end up on the outside of society just as much as someone with actual Hansen's disease. And yet Jesus goes right up to them. He breaks the social law and he touches them and they're healed and it falls off. And then he sits with them in their stigma. It's interesting. The Bible says that Jesus went to have dinner at Simon the leper's house. Like, is he still a leper? Because <laughs> like Jesus healed everyone all the time. So was Simon healed or was he still a leper? I don't know. Let's just assume since Jesus heals so many people that this leper has been healed. But his name is still Simon the leper, <laughs> you know? Poor Simon, when they're writing the gospel, like, hey, could you maybe like, you know, Simon the great or something because that leprosy thing, that's, that's gone now, you know? No, look, dude. Everyone still remember you're Simon the leper. You know, it's like when you lose all that weight, and people still assign uh, like the word "fat" to you. Like I'm not even that anymore. You know, like I've lost weight. You know, well, the stigma for Simon still stuck, and yet Jesus is eating at Simon the leper's house. That probably turned a few heads. Simon the leper. And Jesus ministered to people who were stuck in things like prostitution, which today we easily see as human trafficking. Jesus ministered to people with demons. Do you know when when I've done deliverance ministry with people and have tried to get these demons out and we've seen them leave, like how lowly they feel just knowing that they have one? And yet, Jesus. With them all the time. He never saw them as demonized. He just loved on them and kicked the demons out. Every sickness and disease he healed. Every demon he ran into, he kicked out. A man, a garrison demoniac, he comes up to Jesus with a whole legion of demons. It looks like he has mental health issues. He's running around the gravestones. He's naked. He's cutting himself. He's bleeding everywhere. The things these demons have led him to, same kind of things I see people led to today. And Jesus comes up to him, and though the whole society is afraid of him, Jesus just leave legion, be healed. And the guy is then said to be put in his right mind. See, it doesn't matter what Jesus runs into. When people are at the bottom, Jesus goes to the bottom with them. All the way to his own cross, he finds himself eating with his disciples, knowing prophetically that one of them is going to betray him, that another one, his favorite, or at least one of his most aggressively let's go, let's go, let's go, disciples, is going to betray him and deny him three times. And these are the people that Jesus says, i got to wash your feet now, like a slave would do in his society. How low can you get? How far can you descend? The answer for Jesus was Hades itself. I'll go all the way. I'll wear that cross To show everyone that they are the image of God. To treat everyone as the representation of who they are. For they are all Salems. The homeless man on the park bench. That's Jesus. Holy, holy, holy. When you treat a homeless man on a park bench the way that Jesus would, you've treated Jesus. You know, we have a saying at our church since we try to serve a lot of homeless people, um, I've had people, because we would do these dinners every week, and I had people like, oh, I guess I can volunteer with the dinners. I, it's not really my thing, but I want to help out somehow. And my answer is always like, no, you may not. I do not want, I guess I can make dinner people. I want people who want to cook. I want people who want the freshness and the herbs and put it together to make something that is worthy of these people that we are serving. Because when you give them food later tonight, They don't need soup kitchen stuff. They can get that for free literally four blocks from us. Treat them like they're Jesus. Treat them like they're royalty. That's what Mother Teresa would do. They don't skimp on the rice. What do they need? Treat them like they're Jesus. Treat them like the image of God. Do we do that? See, one of the ways in which the early church wanted to illustrate this oneness of all of us being on the same level was through communion. And when we think of communion, we think of this, all right, everybody, let's get sad for a moment. Everybody come forward, take a tiny little cup that's got a piece of cardboard in it that you're going to eat along with a little bit of juice. And then go back to your uh, seats and we'll take it together. That's not the way they did it in the early church. They called it the Lord's Supper. And the reason they did that was because they all ate a supper together. Everybody probably brought some food. They gathered around tables across socioeconomic lines, across racial and ethnicity lines, across different languages. And they sat around. They acknowledged the image of God in front of them, and they ate together. Didn't matter if you were a man or a woman, free or slave you all were going to eat the same kind of meal together and in that meal there would be bread and wine and so you would naturally partake of Jesus' body and blood during that time and this reminded them, not that we're all individually saved through a little cup and a piece of bread, cracker, cardboard, you know what I'm talking about it's so bad, look guys I opened up a book one day and had this huge waft of communion come out of it. And I was like, this is what I eat. I know this is what they make. Somebody out there is just tricking us. This isn't bread. (laughs) None of you had this. Only a few of you. Okay, it tastes real bad. Um, (laughs) Anyways, what was I talking about? Bread, wine. Right, We we are not all individuals. We are all cut from the same loaf. We are all poured from the same glass of wine. We were all on the same level. And as they partook of communion naturally in their supper, they would remember, yes, Jesus has saved us in the past. And in the present, they would remember, this person in front of me is the same as me, and we have no dividing lines. And for the future, they would remember, one day we will do this with Jesus when we have this heavenly feast of the bride of Christ and Jesus being married together. That's... Timeless communion covers everything. And it sets them all in the same place. And when they didn't live that way with their suppers, Paul came at them. He came at Peter. One time, Peter was just eating. He was eating with the Gentiles. He was doing a good job. But then he saw some Jewish people come in, and he was afraid they were going to judge him. So he got up, and he's like, oh, well, see you later. You know, you've done this in your high school lunch tables. Don't pretend you haven't. And then he goes and sits down with uh, uh, the Jews. And Peter or Paul catches wind of this, and he's like, Peter, bro, you messed up. Isn't that great when your, your holy scriptures, like Peter gets to be remembered as bro. This was just supposed to be written in a letter, but it became holy. You got called out in the Bible, Peter. <laughs> and then there's another church. It seems what was happening in this other church is they get together for the Lord's Supper, and they still didn't understand that they're all made in the image of God and on the same table, because the rich who didn't need to work would get there early, eat all the food, drink all the wine, to the point of actually like getting drunk together. They think they're doing church. But then all the poor people who are working very hard to try to make ends meet show up and all the food's gone. And all the wine's been drunk. And nobody cares about them. In the church, nonetheless. Paul catches wind of that. He's like, when you have the Lord's Supper in this way, like you're bringing judgment on yourself. You're missing the point. You're cut from the same loaf. And yet you're still doing social classes even here. And everywhere Jesus goes, he keeps trying to break that down. It didn't matter if culture got in the way. He just blasted right through that wall. Who's the first person to understand the resurrection and preach it to the world? Mary. She's the first one. In a culture that belittled women, which hasn't always changed, Jesus chose a woman who, in their culture, they probably wouldn't have trusted and said, go tell people the greatest news of all time. Go tell the scared disciple men hiding behind a locked door that you are out in the open (laughs) serving me at my grave site. Go tell them the greatest news. You think that was an accident that Jesus is like, well, Mary's here, I guess I'll just choose her. No. First off, Mary was the faithful one. Secondly, he intentionally empowered a woman to become the first apostle, sent out one with the news of the resurrection, the full gospel. Go, Mary, go tell them. And then the church gets flipped on its head. You keep watching it, and people usually use what Paul says to belittle women, but have you paid attention to the people Paul worked with? It's mostly women. He recognizes them all over the place. Oh, this woman went to jail with me. Uh, this woman over here taught Apollos, one of the great Bible scholars of our time, the actual gospel, because he didn't quite get it. There's Phoebe. She's a deacon in the church. There's Junia. She's an apostle in the church. Apostle, that's as high as it gets, by the way. And then there's uh, these female prophets that serve under um, What's his face? You got it. Why does this always happen every time I get (laughs) sick? But the, the early church is flipping things on their head. All those lines that were once there are breaking down. And it's like the first movement of racial reconciliation. In the Old Testament, God divided all the countries up by a language. It was as a punishment because they were chasing after the false gods. We don't have time to get into that, but that's what happened. And now in the New Testament, God intentionally raises up this new movement of Judaistic Christianity and says, okay, now go to all the other nations. You know how slow they were to do that? Like Peter goes to minister to Cornelius and he's like, all right, God told me to be here. I guess I'll tell you the gospel. Don't think it's going to do anything though because you're Gentiles. So here's what happened. And then the Holy Spirit pours out on Cornelius' his family and they're speaking in tongues. And it's just like, uh, Holy Spirit, you're not allowed to do that. <laughs> Peter didn't pray for them to be baptized. God's just like, watch this, Peter. Get the point? No, he didn't. Keep reading. They're still like, I don't know, are we supposed to save the Gentiles now? Yes, that's the whole point. It's the first like racial movement to say put down all your laws put down all your walls and love people who are different from you because God is open to adoption it doesn't matter who you are leave your false gods behind and come to the one true God do we listen God is a God who sees all humanity in the Salem of God in the image of God That does not mean that we are to be worshipped, by the way. What it means is that we are the representation of who God is. If you are a human being, you have all the value that there already is. And the Bible calls Jesus the true image of God. So if we want to know what it actually looks like to act like the image of God, it's to look like Jesus. And what does Jesus look like? We just went through a lot of examples This is a free methodist church i'm a free methodist pastor we were born out of a social justice movement we had to break off from the methodist church in times where people didn't care about abolition and say no we're abolitionists we had to break off in times where the poor had to pay for pews sorry where people had to pay for pews and all the rich sat up front it was a different time i know we avoid the front at all costs these days but in that time, it was like a thing of like power and authority. Lived out in the church, still. Separation. Who's got the most money? You get to sit up front. Yeah. And we saw that. We're like, no, we're Methodists who are free to go to church. This is our history. And it's not just within our denomination. This is within the Bible. This is within all of history. Will we listen? Will we pay attention? Because God has been saying this for a long time. And when the prophets go to say it, they often get themselves killed. Just as Jesus himself said, blessed are you when those come to persecute you for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When they slander you, when they don't like what you said. Loving the poor is not communism or socialism. It's Jesus. We just made new shirts at our church that say, uh, it's all the different statements. So one would be like, feed the hungry, feed Jesus. And I had someone come up to me like, that feels a little in your face, doesn't it? I mean, I guess if quoting Jesus himself is in your face. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, but you wouldn't like put that like right on a shirt. Like, would you? Yes, I would. <laughs> this is the whole point, man. <laughs> Uh, give ourselves to Jesus, let him tell us who we are, let him tell us who others are, and live in that. Amen? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Jesus, we come and we worship a homeless man sitting on a park bench throne the wonderful reveal that the image of God is in all of us and that the true image of God made himself as lowly as possible at every juncture and every turn, all the way to emptying himself to take on the cross in human likeness. And not to end there, yes, resurrection was coming, but you were willing to go all the way, even lower, into the depths of Hades before coming out of that. Jesus, as Christians, well, as human beings, we're all in your image, but as Christians, we're being resurrected even now into the fullness of your image. So help us when we see others who don't know you and haven't taken on resurrection seeds yet. Let us us plant those in them because the kingdom of heaven has strong seeds. Because we know it's, Though the image that we're made in gives us power and authority, we know that it's not the image that means we're saved for eternity. We know that there needs to be a seed of Jesus, the true resurrection, to liken us into the true form of the image that we might go on to resurrection. So let's acknowledge in everyone the lovely things of you. And let us continue to lead people towards a greater loveliness. In Jesus' name, amen.